The man who steals a loaf of bread to feed his family when he is poor does not deserve the same punishment as the man who steals a loaf of bread just because he wanted to. This simple example shows the idea that fairness does not always equal justice. And justice is greater than fairness. It is more important that we pursue justice more than it is that we pursue fairness in all circumstances. You know this not only if you've been a judge judging men for stealing loaves of bread. Not many of you have probably done that, but many of you have raised children. And if you've raised children, you know the same concept that if your boy comes home and he's in trouble because he hit a buddy of his who got too rough with him during a basketball game, that's a little bit different than if your boy comes home and he got in trouble because he hit a young girl who was maybe being overly dramatic or something. You treat the two situations differently. One is more serious of an offense than the other, even though the action was the same. And the truth of the matter is, we don't always get this right. Sometimes it is very hard to figure out what exactly the just thing to do, the just judgment to make is. We can try our hardest to take into account the nuance of every situation and to take into account all of the different aspects of what's going on in a situation. But we're not always good at administering justice. Sometimes we over punish. Sometimes we under punish. Sometimes we over reward. Sometimes we under reward. And that's all just from a human perspective. If you try and put yourself in the place of God to administer eternal judgments, you are doing something very dangerous. We're not even very good at doing things on a human level with earthly matters. Why would we think we are good enough or smart enough, or nuanced enough, or wise enough to make eternal judgments. God knows way more than we do. He sees way more than we do. He can be eternally nuanced in judging matters. And so the gospel today does a great job in showing this, God is pictured as a landowner who owns a vineyard that is his church and he hires workers. That is, he calls people to be members of his church in his vineyard to work there. And he agrees with them that at the end of their time there, at the end of the day, when he comes back again, when God sends his son Jesus to come back again, each member of the church will receive the same reward, the reward of heaven, a denarius for a day's work. And it so happens that 
He calls people at different times in their life. Some he calls at the first, some at the third, some at the sixth, ninth, and eleventh hours. And when he does so, there are people who were called at the first who think that because the people called at the eleventh, they see also receive a denarius, that maybe somehow they'll get more than a denarius. And they complain and they grumble because they think they know more than God. And they are overly simplistic, really, in their thinking. They think that fairness equals justice. They think that if I worked this many hours, it should be a fair wage, and that one hour should equal this much money, and if I worked this many hours, then I should get that much money, and if someone worked one hour and they get a denarius, then I, and I worked 11 hours, I should get 11 denariuses. They think that fairness equals justice, but they don't see the whole picture. They're not being nuanced at all, really. They're overly simplistic in their thinking. And even if they were smarter, even if they were wiser, even if they tried to be a little more nuanced in their thinking and came up with a little more complicated equation than simply one hour times one amount of money, even if they had a more complicated equation, it doesn't matter. Because this is God's vineyard and God can do with the vineyard what he wants. He says, is it not mine to do with what I want? And so, first of all, first and foremost, this parable serves as, I think, especially for us who are in the church now, a warning. A warning that we are prone to be overly simplistic. And to judge things by an overly simplistic view of fairness rather than understanding God is the administrator of justice. And unfortunately, it is the case that the people who are most prone to falling into this air are the people who have been here the longest. That's what the case is in the parable. The people who have been there the longest in some ways least understand the grace that God shows to the people who have not been there as long. As Lutherans, we talk a lot and think a lot and are happy about our understanding of infant baptism. I am extremely pro-infant baptism. I have baptized my own children as infants, and I look forward to baptizing other children as infants, and we can go into all the scripture about why that's the case and why infant baptism is appropriate and so on and so forth. But there is, in some sense, I think a danger if you are baptized as an infant and grow up in the church. Now, normally, on any other Sunday, I might say that's an advantage to you. It is an advantage to you to grow up week in, week out, hearing God's word. 
is an advantage to you to grow up your entire life being baptized. It is an advantage to you to know the grace and the love of Christ as many days of your life as you have. But this parable does show us that there is in one way this disadvantage. Luther said that you do a child no favors by baptizing them. Because when someone is baptized, that also means that the devil wants to attack them even more. And one of the ways in which the devil attacks people who have been in the church their entire lives, who maybe, like some of you, were baptized as infants or as children or decades ago, is this. That we get lulled into this false sense of security. That we've heard more sermons. We've received the Lord's Supper more times. We've done more volunteering. We know the church. We've been to more voters meetings. We've been on the council longer. We know the church. By the way, there's a council meeting after church today. I forgot to say that in the announcements. Just remembered. Okay, back to the sermon. We get lulled into this false sense of security. And we start to judge those who come in later. We start to judge those who are younger than us. And we start to judge those who are converts and judge those who are in some way, whatever it is, whether by age or by the time that they join the church, less mature in the faith. Now, for one, I'll note this is just on even on a human level, practically misguided. Because if you look at people in the church, this is true no matter what church you're in, you can see that recent converts are often actually some of the most zealous people when it comes to their theology and to their understanding of how the church works and to their wanting to volunteer, and so on and so forth, that recent converts are actually some of the more zealous people in the church. And also, while often longtime members, people who grow up in the church, will claim to know the doctrine better or will claim to know what it means to be a Lutheran better because they've been doing it their whole lives— Maybe they don't actually know on a practical level as much as someone who's been recently confirmed. Be honest with yourself. If you've been a member of a Lutheran church for a long time, if you were confirmed when you were 13 or 14 or something like that and baptized as an infant, do you still have Luther's small catechism memorized? Because there are adolescents that have Luther's small catechism memorized. So on a practical level... Maybe it doesn't actually work out like we think it does. But the point is this. If you're worried about younger people not doing church the way that you think church should be done, or if you're worried about new people coming into the church affecting you in some way, or if you're worried about other people not knowing the doctrine like you do or not being outwardly as deserving as you are of God's gifts, You're worried about the wrong things. 
It is a warning to us because that attitude, which can sneak in by the devil's temptations to people who have been in the church for any length of time, but especially for extended lengths of time, it can lead to unbelief. Instead of focusing on, as Paul talks about in the epistle lesson, running the race with intention so as to receive the imperishable crown, those kind of distractions can lead to losing sight of God's grace toward you. And that can lead to rejecting him. That's what happens in the parable. Maybe you missed this, but it is worth noting is that the complainers, the ones who were there at the first hour, they actually lose faith. They complain against the landowner. They say, we've borne the burden of the day. In the heat of the day, they grumble and complain, just like those Israelites grumbled and complained in the wilderness and did not receive the gift of the promised land. And what did the landowner say to them? He said, take what you deserve and go your way. And what do we all deserve? Not a denarius, not heaven. And whenever Jesus says that to those complainers, take what you deserve and go, it's like he is saying, go to hell, literally. It's harsh, but that's what he says. So what should we do? Instead of worrying about the younger people or worrying about the new people or the less mature people or whoever it is that you start to worry about instead of yourself, what should we do? Focus on the work. This is one of the amazing things about God's church, about his vineyard, is that vineyard work is good work. One of the mistakes that the complainers make is that they say, we've borne the burden of the day and the heat of the day. But that's not what vineyard work is supposed to be like. It is notable here that the work that the people do in the vineyard, it is not a coal mine type of work. It's not an Amazon warehouse that Jesus tells the parable about. It's a vineyard. And what are vineyards for? They're to make wine. What do the Psalms say? Psalm 104. Wine maketh glad the hearts of men. If you've ever enjoyed a glass of wine, you know this. Makes you feel a little bit better. God knows this. That's why he gives his church work in a vineyard. Not in a coal mine, not in an Amazon warehouse, but a vineyard. And so the church, the vineyard, it is a place of joy to work. You know that old saying, enjoy what you do and you never work a day in your life? That's how the church is supposed to be. That's why we have chili cook-offs and men's group meals and painting parties and baptisms and baptism cakes and all the rest of it. Because the church is a place of joy. And there's work for everyone to do in the vineyard. We don't have to grumble and complain and we don't have to think about, is that person doing enough to deserve 
the gifts of God or am I doing enough to deserve the gifts of God? We all have our own work to do. The preachers and the elders lead the congregation in faithfulness and adherence to the landowner's instructions, to his word. The zealous young men, they carry the heavy objects on the workdays and inspire us by their passion. The faithful women nurture us with their desire to care for others and organize fellowship activities and human care activities. And the children play and they watch and they learn by observation and by imitation. And the elderly, they give their wisdom after years of many work in the vineyard. We all have different gifts And it doesn't matter when anyone got here or where they are in their journey of faith. There is something to do. And that brings us to the final point, which is this. God's vineyard is a place of grace alone. In that you can see God's grace alone. Today is the Sunday of grace alone. And what is grace but God's Favor. God's decision, eternal decision, that instead of punishing us immediately for our sin and giving us immediately what we deserve, He looks at you and says, Yes, I love you. Yes, I want to help you. Yes, I want to give you my gifts. And He calls you. And the grace is this, that we don't get what we deserve. We, in fact, get more than we deserve. We should not worry about denariuses and how many denariuses each person is going to get. Instead, we should just be grateful that we were hired in the first place. That we get to sit here. That we get to enjoy the work of the vineyard. That we get to be around other vineyard workers. The fact that we get to have a place to call our church home. That itself is wonderful. And then the fact on top of that, that he rewards you for the work. That he does give you a denarius. That when you die from these labors here on earth, you get to enjoy the rewards in heaven. Jesus ends this parable by saying many are called, but few are chosen. He has called you here by grace. And the message is simple. Don't resent him for it. Rejoice in the work that he has given you. And you will also be among the chosen few on the last day. The truth of the matter is life is not fair, but God is is just and within that justice he is gracious his justice and his mercy do not contradict one another instead they beautifully fit together and he has been gracious to you so gracious that at the end you will justly deserve so long as you keep the faith and run the race with endurance you will receive the imperishable crown. And to him who gives you the crown of eternal life, who writes your name in the book of life, 
To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen.